I want the art world to be bigger and wider. And I think empowering people to make art um, in other platforms is how I have chosen to do that. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Lately, as museums, galleries, and pricey art schools have all struggled to adjust to our new locked-down, socially distanced reality, fundamental questions have arisen about what the art world, so long an exclusionary ivory tower of elitism, can offer the rest of the world. Fortunately, the real joys of art are plentifully available to anyone who wants to become an artist themselves. And there's a way you can do that now, at home, for free, and maybe have an even more meaningful experience than you'd have in a major museum or a fancy art fair. That's because for the past six years, the former curator, Sarah Eurist-Green, has been hosting a PBS series called The Art Assignment, where she draws on real-life successful artists to deliver accessible, enjoyable lessons about what it means to make art. Beautifully filmed and appealingly down-to-earth, this series has evolved over time to include art-themed cooking lessons and art history explainers, and now it has just given rise to a new book called You Are an Artist, Assignments to Spark Creation. So, can you become an artist? To find out how it's done and why it's possible for anyone, not just people with art degrees, I'm very happy to have Sarah Yurst-Green on the podcast today. Thank you very much for coming on The Art Angle, Sarah. Of course. Thank you for having me. So you have just published a new book with Penguin titled You Are an Artist, Assignments to Spark Creation. This is an outgrowth of a show you've been doing for PBS since 2014 called The Art Assignment. Now, it's obviously a very strange time to be launching a new book. How do you feel this is hitting the moment? In a lot of ways. I mean, it's a book about art you can make using the things you have around you. And mm -hmm. if there's ever a time that we need to make do with what we have, it's now. So am I bummed that I didn't get to travel around on the book tour that was planned? Yes. But I also feel like the book can really play an important role right now. I mean, it's one thing that, that we see all over the world. You know, museums are locked down. People can't go to shows. They can't go to music concerts. Basically, all they can do is what they find on screens and what they can make themselves. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and I think one of the primary um, focuses of the book is to acknowledge that that real life and the digital life we lead has always been really confused and overlapped. The art assignment, the show that I've produced for a number of years and this book, a lot of the assignments assume that you lead a digital life. So, you know, in a lot of ways, we've now find ourselves like <laughs> the internet, Zoom calls, live shows being our only way to connect with other people. But it's just a more extreme version. I mean, I've been doing that for a while. And I think that art making has been and can still be part of that and even help us sort of parse out what's what and how the two worlds interrelate. So your show and your book are both Marvel's of an accessible form of art scholarship. But you actually have very professional art credentials. And, and one thing that 
reads very clearly in the book is that it's also coming from a personal place. Could you tell us a little bit about your own artistic journey? Sure. You know, I think like a lot of people involved in the arts, um, it just sort of took me a while. And it's still an unfolding process to like find my place in that world. You know, I thought I wanted to be an artist, professional artist uh, when I was in college. And then I realized I preferred talking about other people's art. And that Hmm. sent me toward art history um, and studying art history and working in museums. And I think, you know, what's the through line in my career is a deep affection for artists and being around artists. The artists I know just have amazing ideas and ways of looking at the world. And those were all things that I didn't feel were necessarily communicated that well in the context of a lot of museums. Like, does it look beautiful? Yes. Does it uh, look valuable? Yes. Um, but is it is it really connecting with people? And so, you know, the point of the series and these uh, assignments and the book are to show people the vastly different ways that artists look at the world and approach their work. And each of the artists in the book have proposed an assignment that reveals something about the way that they make work. You mentioned the art context that you find in a museum may not always be conveying art in this very open, kind of generous way. And that's interesting because before you launched the art assignment, You were a curator at the Indianapolis Museum of Art, which has now been rebranded as this very unusual uh, Mm data-driven thing called New Fields, a place for nature and the arts. But back when you were there, it was one of the hottest museums in America. It had organized the U.S. Pavilion for the 2011 Venice Biennale. It was rolling out all these innovative high-tech offerings. What did you learn from your experience there that kind of made you start to think that something else was possible? I learned a tremendous amount. However, I just kept feeling like I wasn't reaching the people I wanted to be reaching. I felt like it was a bit of an echo chamber. And a lot of people involved in the arts have very good intentions and open the doors and do their best to get people in there, uh, different types of people. But I just felt like I kept seeing the same people, (laughs) not just in the museum, but around the world at these different events. And I started to think about YouTube (laughs) and the kinds of interesting discussions uh, in other fields that I saw happening there and started thinking that that might be a platform where I could have discussions about art and talk about the part of the art world that I find the most interesting. New Fields, as it's called now, you know, what they're trying to do is talk to different people. They're trying to expand their audience. Um, Would I do it that way? Were I the director? No, I wouldn't. Um, But I think that it reflects the realization that a lot of museums are having that something has to change uh, if we want museums to continue to be relevant. Hmm. And what, what do you think it is that has to change? 
<laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, I think in the case of some of the museums that I've worked in and around, it's an architecture problem. It's a placement in the city problem. You know, I think that numbers don't necessarily reflect quality of engagement. And I think that institutions really have to think about like who they're trying to reach and how those people are actually going to get there. Um, You know, even beyond reconsidering your entire exhibition program and thinking deeply about what is deeply fitting for your community, it's very context dependent. You have to know your community and you have to really be honest with yourself. Do you want to make shows for your trustees and other rich people? Well, okay. But do you actually want to reach new people? Then I think you have to, I think you have to start asking hard questions and making pretty revolutionary decisions. So the show that you created, The Art Assignment, guides a general audience through the complexities of contemporary art in a very plain spoken and and truly engaging way. Where did you get the idea to not only teach about art to people, but to encourage them to consider themselves artists and make art themselves? I'm somebody who learns by doing, and it helps me sort of enter the mindset of someone to like try out a way that they work. Having a grounding in art making was helpful for me, even if it's just psychological in talking with artists, in looking at work, um, relating to it materially as well as intellectually. And so like on a basic level, that is why I sort of came about it at this angle. But I also think that to a large extent, because the art market, at least before coronavirus, had gotten so big and so inflated, I think that what I was noticing is when people walk in and they see these works that have such a high value, that are worth millions and and presented in this fancy environment, it doesn't look like things that people actually made. And it becomes hard to relate to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in a certain extent, I think it can be helpful from a wide variety of perspectives to make art. It can be a meditative process. It can help you work through problems. It can occupy your hands. It can help you connect with people. I I think that it can expose new ideas. But I also think that by trying on these different ways of working, you see that art doesn't have to be this insanely highly... A valuable thing. It is human output. As people, we've always liked to make art and have never stopped doing that through any adversity. Like, I want the art world to be wider than it is. I want more people to be making work. The last road trip I was on, I don't know when I'll take another one, but I was looking at the truck driver in the semi next to me and I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I don't know that guy. I know nothing about him. But if like, he were exposed to some art-making materials and approaches and ideas. I I would not be surprised if that guy could make amazing art that would astound us all. This is a very long-winded way of saying that I want the art world to be bigger and wider. And I think empowering people to make art um, in other platforms is how I have chosen to do that. How did you get linked up with PBS? 
my husband produces online video. I had heard through him that PBS was like forming this new online wing uh, where they would produce web original educational content and they were accepting proposals. And, you know, I was in the middle of producing exhibitions and had commissions <laughs> in process and all these types of things. But I was like, you know what, maybe I should propose a show. So that's when I started cooking up this idea. And I knew that if I was going to leave the museum, I didn't want to stop seeing new work and meeting new artists. And so the art assignment as um, as a concept sort of flowed out of that. So the notion of the traditional art assignment is something that is very core to the show. And you have this incredible twist of having these assignments being given by very acclaimed contemporary artists. However, the artists that you choose to include are by and large not household names, but really curatorial darling artists who are really the avant-garde and the rising generation. Artists like Shabalala Self, Fritz Haig, who is a veteran, and Nita Katshadorian. How do you choose the artists you approach? I, I choose them by thinking about, in a very basic way, like, do I think uh, that their art can connect easily with a largely younger and internet-based audience. Hmm. With the book, I was able, with the new assignments I commissioned, to sort of think about that a little differently since the artists weren't necessarily going to be on camera. But I really thought about the nature of the artist's work. I haven't asked artists, for the most part, who sort of have a strictly abstract practice. But in the beginning, I picked artists I, I knew and was friends with and then sort of expanded from there and, you know, figured, oh, if we're going to Kansas City to meet this artist, who else should I know there? You know, artists almost always gave me the best ideas for who I should ask next. You mentioned that the artists are not typically abstract, but by and large, the assignments they give out are very conceptual. Some of, <laughs> yeah. some of them are in really endearingly simple, actually, and don't require materials other than your creativity and imagination, like one from the anonymous feminist protest group, the Gorilla Girls, mm -hmm. that consists of exactly two steps. <laughs> Step number one, think of something you want to complain about. Step number two, communicate your message in a unique and unforgettable way. How have these very simple assignments resonated with your audience? Um, it's really interesting to see how it plays out because with each episode, we do ask uh, people to respond and post their responses to their social media platform of choice. And often... The, the very highly specific ones are sort of more catchy on the internet. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think the more abstract ones are the ones that I'm going to enjoy seeing have like a different type of life with the book being out in the world. Because a lot of these, I mean, the Gorilla Girls assignment, that's a big thing. <laughs> you know, what do you want to mm -hmm. complain about? How can you complain about it creatively? It's a great framework, but it does take a lot of, of thought. For the most part, I wanted these to be assignments that are very doable. You know, I wanted these to be flexible. I wanted these to be able to work within your life. And, you know, maybe you don't have an idea right away, but it plants the seed in your head. And then three years from now, you're sitting on a train and all of a sudden you have an idea for the perfect way to complain creatively. Other assignments are actually fairly involved. <laughs> 
like the, the photographer Alex Soths, who asks people to first find a, an article in a local newspaper, then find an aspect of that article that could merit further investigation, then to go report it out, <laughs> take a photograph of it, and then write a story to accompany it. In other words to go out and actually be a working journalist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I haven't done all of the assignments myself, I will admit that. Um, but that one is one that I did challenge myself to do. Wow. I found an advertisement for a local store, a pipe and pen store, not like a, um, a paraphernalia shop, but like an old school pipe and cigar uh, shop. So I decided to go find it. And I went in, and it was this amazing old store. And I had a great chat with the with the fellow who ran the desk there and learned all about its history and took some photos and wrote a little bit. And wow. now the place has closed down. And I'm really glad I did it. I think some of them do require you to step outside of your comfort zone. And a lot of times, like, you're not going to do that unless somebody asks you or gives you an assignment. That one in particular, like, Alex Soth is not somebody who's naturally an extrovert. He taught himself to do that. Uh, his first assignment for a newspaper he worked for was to go report on a Keanu Reeves film set. <laughs> And he was so nervous he wouldn't get anywhere close and he needed to take this picture, but he couldn't do it. And finally, at the end of the day, Keanu Reeves had like noticed him lurking around and waved him over and said, you know, you need a picture. Da, da, da. And now he's an extremely accomplished photographer who regularly invites himself into people's lives and takes very intimate and wonderful photographs there. So I think it's um, it's like a muscle that you have to build and train that that getting out there and trying new things. That's interesting because as I was reading through the book, I started to think that a lot of these were less assignments than they were exercises to try to alert you to a new way of looking at the world. Was that intentional? I mean, I think of them not as like strict assignments because people tend to have a negative association with the word assignment. It, like it might be anxiety inducing. You know, you can call them prompts. You can call them exercises. You can call them a lot of things. What I like and why I kept with the assignment is because I do want to sort of call people to actually do it. You know, <laughs> it's up to you whether you do, but I like the accountability of it. One of the great things about your show is that you interact with your commenters a great deal and you incorporate their feedback into the show and you answer their questions. What have you learned about your audience's interests and perspectives over the course of the program? I've learned a lot, <laughs> but I've learned not to be dismissive of some of the questions that I avoided early on. You know, people saying sort of vehemently, this isn't art or this is bullshit. You know, there hasn't been true art since the Renaissance. Mm -hmm. All of these things that I used to just be like, oh God, you know, how are we going to do this? Uh, but I've learned it actually kind of provokes me. Like, well, you know, what I'm hearing is that you really enjoy uh, when you're looking at art, you want to see something that was really hard to do and took a lot of training mm -hmm. and that you couldn't do and that shows mastery of a certain way. And I like that in art too. You know, I don't have to have that. To me, art can be a lot of different things. But what I'm 
still learning is that those voices are legitimate and that if we want to create art venues for a lot of people, then it's important to listen to that and not get dragged down by it. And that's what I do. There's a lot of nastiness on the internet. And I try very hard to create a civil environment in the comments. And I am not afraid to to delete nastiness. (laughs) But in general, I'm just more receptive to really listening. I think that's one of the greatest things about the show is that you deliberately steer into the audience's skepticism. It's evolved over time beyond the original assignment concept to now include a number of other mini-series within the show, including one where you make a case for something that people sometimes find a little bit pretentious, like conceptual art, minimalism, the work of Yoko Ono. Where did this approach come from and how did you decide to evolve it beyond the assignment? Um, Well, as I was producing these assignment-focused shows and noticing the conversations that were happening in the comments, I, I felt like I was getting to know the YouTube platform and the audiences and the potential audiences. And then, you know, after three years of releasing these assignment videos, I decided not to release anymore because I knew I wanted to make this book um, and needed some time to do that. And also to start to answer some other questions and to experiment with other ways to talk about art. And I think the thing that brings all the content together, at least for me in my head, is that it's looking at art history and art through the lens of the present. So like if I make the case for conceptualism, I want to understand why it's relevant to people now, not just why it was cool in the 70s. Why should you care now and what aspects of it might be relevant to you. Like, I I don't love the work of Mark Rothko. Um, and I, it's fine. It just never really did anything for me. And I decided to make uh, a video, The Case for Mark Rothko, mostly because I wanted to make the case for myself. Like, if you give something attention, if you give something care and study, you can usually find something redeeming about it. Like, you don't have to like Yoko Ono's work, but if you were going to, this is why. As somebody who's based in Indianapolis, do you feel that you have a different perspective because you are in the middle of America? Uh, Definitely. Being here helps me remember uh, that most people are not part of the art world that gets reported on because art is being made everywhere. It's just that the power centers are so limited. So yes, I, I I appreciate being here. It gives me room to think. It gives me room to contextualize my work and um, care a little less about what my, um, you know, what, what the people I went to grad school with think. <laughs> it's interesting to note that in this strange moment, what a lot of people have started to do is that they're recreating or reciting masterpieces from the history of art. Why do you think there's this real gravitation towards this honoring and and reenactment of art history? I think it plays 
perfectly into meme culture on the internet. Mm. You know, people love to recreate uh, images and, and art images too. I think it's a way of supporting the museums that are shut down. And it's fun. It's putting yourself into history. It's sort of elevating yourself out of the doldrums and misery of being stuck in your, your apartment. And it's a way to enliven a museum's collection when it's not accessible. So to me, it's the perfect coming together of art museums, valiant efforts to share their collection when they're closed, and everyone's love of memes. Is there anything else that you've been surprised or heartened to see when it comes to art and creativity in these dark days? Yeah, I because the of the book's release, I've been talking with a lot of the artists whose assignments are included in the book. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of the artists are like, we were made for this, you know, like we are artists, we are good at being resourceful and making something out of sometimes nothing. And I'm heartened because a lot of the artists who I know and keep up with this is another time that you make work through and about. I mean, I, a lot of people are are struggling in the extreme, and this is a serious and horrifying circumstance we find ourselves in. But I also think that it could be a wonderful moment for making, and I want to see what comes of it. So to go back to your show for a moment... It's evolved over time to incorporate cooking lessons, their travel episodes. What is the most popular episode you've had so far? I made a video about the Banksy auction. Shredding. Yeah, the shredding, the Banksy <laughs> shredding. That that did well. My Maurizio Catalan banana video <laughs> did well. I mean, the truth is that most people uh, can't name more than a few living artists. So a lot of times I try to think about shows that sort of start from things that people know. One of our most viewed videos is called I Can Do That. And it's my attempt at a response to when people say I could do that. So I'm, I'm intentionally provocative in order to start a conversation. Something that I learned from the first few years of making the series is that even very well-known artists in the art world are not recognizable outside of it. So if you really want to talk to people, um, you have to kind of come at how, how the work itself, the ideas behind it can connect. For the content creators out there, what have been the least popular episodes you've had? <laughs> I hate to say it, but our assignment videos are probably our least popular. With the book, I, I kind of wanted to package the assignments in a different way <laughs> um, and to create a slower resource because, you know, grappling with the YouTube algorithm is maddening <laughs> and it changes all the time. So um, I wanted these assignments to have a life outside of YouTube, which does tend to privilege newsy items like the banana. But I think that there's still a lot of value in making a physical object and making a resource that sort of brings them together and slows down the pace a little bit hmm. and allows you to sit with the ideas it contains. I wonder, as a way of closing out, are there any art assignments you'd like to give our listeners? 
I would love to. One that I've been thinking about a lot recently is uh, Ju Young Che's assignment, Imaginary Friend. I know a lot of people who are alone right now. Um, and this one may seem silly, but I encourage you to try it anyway. It's just two steps. One, make an imaginary friend using any medium you like. And two, Bring that friend out into the world and introduce them to others. <laughs> and uh, the assignment is more involved and, and explained uh, in greater detail in the book. But uh, it's about thinking about what kind of a character you need right now. Um, and I think that regardless of how old you are, you sh it, it can be a wonderful time to think about that and give it a try. In this age of social distancing, I think all of us could use another imaginary friend from time to time. <laughs> yes, indeed. And if you do the assignment, uh, I hope you'll share it uh, on social media with the hashtag you are an artist. Thank you very much for coming on The Art Angle, Sarah. That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. The Art Angle is produced by Tim Schneider and Caroline Goldstein and edited by Nick Long. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye.